Hello everyone, a quick heads up before we get started with this episode. We will very soon be changing the name of this podcast from the fifth edition to Strategic Whole Life. And don't worry, the topic of our podcast is not changing. We're fully committed to the infinite banking concept and helping people understand how it works. The reason we're changing the name of the podcast is we found that the fifth edition was just a little too esoteric. It was originally a callback to the final print edition of Nelson Nash's Becoming Your Own Banker, but it wasn't helping people find us and the information that we're sharing in our podcast. So keep an eye out when you see the new name pop up in your feed. It's still us. And we're looking forward to doing many, many more episodes with you. Thanks. And now let's get on with the episode. Episode 81, IBC First Principles, Part 3. So we covered 1 through 7 in episode 79 and 80. Today, we're going to tackle 8, 9, and 10. So thank you for joining us for Part 3. John, let's kick this off with number 8, Park Wealth, where you can get the most economic value. Yeah, and we talk a lot about in your financial life, getting all of your dollars to do the job of two, three, four dollars. And whole life insurance is one of those special assets that gives us some economic leverage and allows us to do just that. And so when we say park wealth, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It is where we're storing our cash, but everything stays in motion. We talked about how Money is like, there's only one pool of money and money is like water and water needs to flow. We are storing our cash there, but when we're practicing IBC, that money is constantly in motion. The, but if we look at where we can get the most economic value, one of the things we need to talk about is it has to be held safely with a trusted third party with full legal reserves, right? By law, if we're talking about whole life insurance and these insurance companies have darn close to a 200 year track record of the top performing oldest mutual insurance companies is what I'm talking about. They have a track record of close to 200 years of making good on their promises. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I like to point out is that all the companies that we work with to implement IBC, they've been around for at least a hundred years. They're a rated and they've paid out a dividend consecutively every single year for a hundred plus years. And that speaks volumes to me because when I park a portion of my wealth, I want it to know that it's with the safest entity I could find, the safest third party custodian. And people tend to overlook life insurance companies as a place to park a portion of their wealth. And they're really missing probably one of the best stories in all of finance, but it's because of the conditioning that we've received for so many years and decades of our life where we're taught from a very early age to go to a bank and deposit money at a bank and it's safe there. And we get the sticker of, a sh- of a, a sh- I want to say assurance, it's not insurance, that sticker of FDIC. The FDIC is, is just as insolvent as all the fractional reserve banks that we deposit money with. And then we compare that to a full reserve system like these mutual life insurance companies by law have to, they have to play within this really conservative set of rules. And it's, there's no comparison when you do 
contrast the difference between these two uh, systems, fractional and full reserve systems. But unfortunately, it's hiding in plain sight. And the, the interesting thing is we call it cash value, and we probably don't pay enough attention to that. Words mm. have meaning, and they're important. And that that phrase, those two words together, cash value, it's not just cash sitting in a, in, think of it like cash sitting in a, in a deposit box or in a checking account or in a safe, wherever, if you have one, Th- this is cash with a third party custodian and it has additional value, cash value. And I really want people to hold on to that thought because when you think about all the economic value that's derived by holding a portion of your wealth and a whole life policy, you're getting more bang for your buck. It's not just cash in, in, in nominal value. You're getting a future value, that death benefit. You're getting the ability to collateralize it without the concern of having that loan called on you. The life insurance company can't ever give you a loan and say, hey, you know what? We need that money back in 30 days. Otherwise, we're going to cancel your policy. That can never happen. Can that happen in the fractional reserve world where you go take a a loan? You got a line of credit? Absolutely, it can. So night and day difference. And you want to park your wealth where you can get the most economic value. And it it goes way beyond just having availability to cash. There's so much more uh, within a whole life policy that gives you economic value in in different phases of your life for your entire life. And in IBC, we talk a lot about the cash value, and uh, but of course, life insurance is life insurance, and so there's a death benefit associated with that. And in fact, that's where the cash value actually comes from. So you could think of it like the equity in your death benefit. But talking about other sources of value with the policy, you've got the death benefit, you have the cash value, you have the non-forfeiture options, which are different, tons of different options for you to hold on to that policy if you hit a rough patch and have trouble paying premiums. You have a disability waiver of premium. You have accelerated death benefit riders for chronic and terminal illnesses. There's all kinds of things that these policies have not to mention it it's going to grow typically more than what it would grow in a typical commercial bank so you have all these benefits of this whole life policy you're paying the exact same amount of money into it there's of course there's a little bit more of a commitment compared to a typical savings account where you do have to pay those premiums but like i said there are a lot of options if to pay premiums if you hit a rough patch but the that that's probably a good thing. If you talk to someone, one of the reasons they like their 401k is they call it, it, it provides them with a forced savings. It forces them to save. Meanwhile, it forces them to save in a platform where they have zero control, zero liquidity, penalties if they take the money out, all this other stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is it provides that forced savings in a way that puts you in control gives you liquidity and gives you leverage. That's really what IBC is all about, where we can take some safe, use some safe leverage to create acceleration in our financial life. I like your use of the word commitment. It made me think of a meme that's been going around the internet. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. 
weak men create hard times. And if you think about the commitment that you make to yourself when you commit to paying premium, it might be, it's going to require discipline on your part, but the discipline, those are potentially how you see it. If you see it as hard times, it's going to create a strong person within you because you're committing to your future self through those premiums. And what's going to happen? It's you're going to create capital and you're going to create good times for yourself. But if you've got weak hands and you lack the, the discipline to save for your future, the consequences are, well, they're pretty apparent what, what's going to happen. So I, I like your use of the word commitment because IBC does require discipline. It does require commitment. But if you can commit to your system of policies, commit to paying premium, good times are ahead. Yeah. And just to add on a little bit about your tracking the word commitment, that's one of the things that gives these policies value to the insurance companies as well is the, the fact that they have a commitment of the premiums coming in. If you look at banks buying and selling mortgage paperwork, why do you think they do that? They do it because that paper has a 360 month commitment on it or a 180 month commitment. It's the commitment that creates the value for a lot of these financial instruments and life insurance is, is no different. But then as you said, Montoya, the commitment to yourself is even more important. I have a lot of conversations about like how much premium should I pay and people hem and haw about like getting started and like how much they should, how much they should do. And it's, don't make a big deal out of it. Just pick something. If it's just picking a number, just pick a number that you can start with. And you'll find that once you have that commitment that you've kind of scheduled for yourself and you're just making those premium payments on autopilot, it becomes easier and easier as you go along and you typically find ways to um, pay even more premium as your income increases over time you'll find ways to pay. You'll wish you could pay even more premium. Most people start off too small um, as opposed to too big. Um, some people do start off too big. We try, to, we try to help people avoid that particular problem. But usually people start off too small because they're afraid of the commitment. And it's totally understandable. There's nothing abnormal about that. But once you start down that path and create that commitment for yourself, you'll find that you'll look for ways to increase that commitment because you'll see how much more you're getting out of this once you get started and get rolling. Yeah. And I would just say to that, if you're starting off on the more conservative side of paying premium, we're, we're talking about getting the most economic value here. You want to lock in your human life value. If, if you're starting off on the lower end of that commitment, right. that way, if something happens to your health later on, you've locked in your human life value. You can take a convertible term policy and automatically, without an exam, without underwriting, convert it into the whole life policy that you really wanted to start with, say, in the beginning. Park wealth where you can get the most economic value. If you're starting on the lower end, make sure you lock up your human life value too. Yeah, because when you're starting on the lower end, a lot of times you're on the lower end because you're a little bit younger. But even if that's not true, it doesn't matter. We start where we can start. So I've been in martial arts for 30 years. And when people start training and they learn 
all these different things. They're like, man, I wish I would have started this when I was whatever, 18. It's, it doesn't matter. Like you're starting now and that that's the only time you can start. And it's like everything else. People always wish they could start or start something sooner because they learn something new, but it doesn't, obviously it doesn't work that way, at least not yet. So you, we start where we start and just do what you can do now. And that's all we can do. Let's go ahead and pivot to principle number nine, the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. This one's really about self-sovereignty for me. And when you have capital available at your whim, you basically get to decide how you're going to live your life. You're not being manipulated in really in any way because in, in, society that we live in, if you've got your money trapped up in a 401k, an IRA, in the walls of your house, you are beholding beholden to banks and lenders. You've got to go out and get that loan and agree right. to that uh, banker's terms in order to get access to the capital. And it's all because we're, we're saving capital in the wrong place. And if, if you have your quote unquote gold available where you have access to it, you have control over it, you are operating within a system where the rules are known and they cannot be changed on you. And that's extremely important. A whole life contract, you may not realize this, it is a unilateral contract. Once you have it issued and in force, the life insurance company cannot change the rules of that contract on you. Your money, your cash value is under your control. It's safe, as we mentioned, but with the track record these life insurance companies and the industry has as a whole, you, you have the ability when you have access to your cash value to make the rules in your life, to determine how you want to utilize that money. I, I think off the top of my head about my wife and, and our situation with her health, we weren't stuck with her diagnosis of staying within the Western healthcare system. We had capital that allowed us to go outside of the traditional health system and what they were recommending for her. And that wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have money outside of the, the prevailing conventional fractional reserve system. Um, if, if we had all our assets tied up in a 401k IRA, we would never had the options for alternative holistic care um, that has put my wife on a path for actual healing. When when we have uh, if when we follow the golden rule, we're going to have more options available to us. Not just uh, when it comes to the financial decisions, which are probably more top of mind for all the listeners, but here in this case, it opened up a, a completely another avenue for health and for choosing different life options that otherwise wouldn't be there. And it's because we were able to make our own rules. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like trying to go to a bank and get a, an equity loan from the bank on your house to pay for healthcare costs. Probably not too likely that that would get approved. Having control and liquidity. A lot of financial gurus on social media talk about how cash is the worst don't hold, don't have any cash tie it up all tie all your cash up in real estate and it's okay that all works really well until it doesn't just like a lot of things so 
having control over over what you're doing is when you need it having that control is the it's the thing that saves you and a lot of people unfortunately are just putting the cart before the horse right now putting all their money into things that they don't have any liquidity they don't have a really very good emergency fund and then things like covid happen and people are really put in a bind a lot of people had a really hard time during that period losing their job not or not being able to go to work all that, or putting their health at risk to go to work things like that having that having the ability having the gold to be able to make the rules is unfortunately a, a principle that's been lost over the last generation or two and uh, it'd be uh, i think it'd be a great thing for everybody to realize that and get it back another thing i wanted to say quickly is the you mentioned the fact that a whole life insurance policy is a unilateral contract this is a very important piece of information to understand that we're talking about control right now the policy owner is in control the only entity that's on the hook for anything is the insurance company because we are transferring risk to the insurance company in exchange for that premium we had to qualify for it we were on the hook the policy owners on the hook to qualify but once they qualify the insurance company is the only entity that's on the hook and obligated to perform of course assuming premiums are paid so you do have to live up to that obligation but it's not actually an obligation you can stop paying premiums and surrender a policy anytime and with a whole life policy of course you get the cash surrender value back now there's we talk a lot about the capitalization period so depending on when you did that you may not get all the cash that you paid in premium but if you let that policy mature you'll get your money back and then some but i guess the real point that i'm trying to make here is you're in control you make the rules about what's going on with this policy and then going back up to uh, point number 8 about where you're keeping your wealth and getting having all of the benefits of a whole life policy and all you have to do is pay a premium so i think that's a super important piece the unilateral contract side where there's a lot of information or misunderstanding out there about how whole life works where it's, they just they paint this picture that you have to pay premiums for the rest of your life which by the way you might but it, you'd want to once you understand how it works you want to but you don't have to you're never locked into this situation you're in control and the fearmongering that goes into like how whole life is a rip off is just like crazy to me that anyone who just takes i don't know 10 minutes to look into how it works like you you can see that it's not everything they're making it out to be yeah and those people that perhaps are adding fear into the equation what are the alternatives that they're suggesting right. listen to what they're saying because more than likely they are suggesting that you forfeit control to yes. banks and wall street right and the government and if you think about those options that that you you're you're putting locks on your capital and that's a recipe for almost sure disaster and i i say almost because there, there's going to be some liquidity that you can get access to with a 401k and ira before they completely tax and penalize you and then say no more a 401k max loan is 50,000 right with a bank i was reading something about one of the biggest banks out there at most 
they'll give you $15,000 in cash per day. Mm-hmm. And that's at one of the biggest banks. Try going to a smaller bank. They don't keep that much cash on hand. So if you keep a lot of cash in a traditional bank account and you actually try to go in and ask for your cash, they're going to limit how much they give to you. There, there's capital controls where, wherever you go. And to have a system that's outside of the prevailing conventional fractional reserve system where you have a known set of rules that you can have access to your cash value. And they're basically going to ask you two questions. How much of your cash value would you like and where would you like us to send it to? It's a very liberating feeling to know that you can really determine where you want to go with your capital and you're not having it dictated to you. Be careful what and listen to what people are suggesting if they're using fear to suggest that whole life is a awful place for money. Because I, I will say that, and this goes back to something I heard a long time ago, people's understanding of life insurance is most likely based off of someone else's misunderstanding. And if you don't take the time to do the research on whole life, then you're going to be stuck on someone else's misunderstanding. So definitely make sure you do your own research. Yeah. And it's also just not to belabor the point, but if we're talking about control, where's your money actually in control? A lot of the folks that are maybe bashing whole life a little bit where they're telling you to put your money in mutual funds. So it's like, where, whose game are you playing? Like a lot of people work for 40 years just to get average results. Do we really want to do all this work just to get average rates of return, which by the way, are completely bogus. That doesn't work the way people think it does. But do we, are we really working our whole life just to get an average performance? And the reason it's all average is because most of us are taught to put our money in places where other people are making the rules on how it works. And those people, the insiders, that they get treated differently than we do. They win no matter what, right? Where we're subject to market corrections and taxes and bad trades and fraud and all this other stuff. It's do we want to have control over what we're doing so that we can make the rules in our life? Do we want our gold to be in a place where we can make the rules or do we want to hand over our gold, so to speak, to other people who we play by their rules. And by the way, a lot of times we don't even know what those rules are. Trent Fortner has that great line. You're playing a game against the best people in the world of the financial game. And most of us don't even know what the rules are, the rules of the game are. Our last principle, think long-term. And this really goes back to Nelson and the mindset that He wanted all of us to develop and and harness because when we are able to think long-term, we're we're thinking generations ahead, and that puts us in the best possible place to make economic decisions. But a whole life policy is just that. It's going to cover you for your whole life, and it really allows us to make the best possible decisions during our whole life because we have capital that's accumulating in a favored place, favored 
within the IRS tax code, something that we may not have mentioned in, in principle number eight, but there it is. It's favored within the IRS tax code. It's favored in the rules that are set up for us that get grandfathered in once we have this unilateral contract. There's no one entity that has the power over us to change these rules. There, there are no rulers, for example, like Congress, changing the terms of your 401k and IRA that you can only contribute this amount to those government qualified accounts. Not so with a whole life policy. Really, the amount of premium that you contribute is based off your own financial situation. What is your what is your wherewithal, your capacity to pay premiums, your income, your overall net worth, your health? A whole life policy, it it really helps you to develop this muscle of thinking long term that will benefit you your entire life. And it it really for especially in the age that we live in, where we have access to information at our fingertips. And we are, it's very easy to succumb to chasing the next shiny object and chasing rate of return. If you think about the common person's mindset, we're we're constantly being bombarded with what the latest and greatest is, the the next iPhone release, the next, the 23, now going to be 2024 edition of the next car and everything that comes out. And we want to have those things. And we want to, it's, it's this mindset of keeping up with the Joneses. And here we've got this boring whole life policy. It's not sexy. It's no one's going to want to talk about it with their group of friends because (laughs) it doesn't earn, it doesn't have the potential for 10, 20, 30% rates of return. It's, it's nothing that you can show off. It's not like we carry our whole life policies around with us and say, hey, look what I got. This is something that's very boring. But at the same time, I love that aspect to it. And I prefer that aspect to it because that gives me the peace of mind knowing that with all the change that's happening in the world, with all the latest release and whatever suits your fancy, I've got something in my back pocket that is there for the long term and it's going to allow me to make the best economic decisions for my life i'm not having to rely on banks and lenders high interest card or high interest rate credit cards because i've developed a place for capital where i can bypass what the banks and the lenders are offering if i'm not in favor of it i can bypass the shiny investment that may be too good to be true looks great right now, but in another year, five years, probably not going to perform, right? M- most investments, they don't end up working out the way that we thought. There's a, always a level of risk to all investments. That's what entails an investment. There, there's a risk there. And here I've got my low time preference. My I'm thinking long-term with my whole life policy. It's always there in the background working whether I put that money to work or not, it's always there. And if I come across something that I do want to invest in, it's there and I can take advantage of it. And I've done so safely because the leverage within a whole life policy is guaranteed to increase in value every single year, no matter what. 
We talked about the concept of getting better every single year. It gets better all the time. When you have that ability to think long-term with a whole life policy, your entire life improves. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned the common financial information that we get. We're bombarded with information that is all short-term thinking. The longest people usually talk about in the typical financial planning space is maybe 30 years, right? A lot of times people talk about how to get the biggest account by the time you get to retirement. And so they'll have this maybe a 30-year outlook. Most A lot of the stuff that you see out there on, on social media is not even close to 30 years. But let's just say it's 30 years. Nelson, in Becoming Your Own Banker, he talked about how you should have an outlook twice that, right? 70 years is what he talks about in the book. And so we're the thing is, not only do you have to plan for the accumulation that you're getting while, during your working years, you also have to plan for how are you going to live during your retirement years, if you like that idea of retiring. But then the other side of it is what happens after that? Are you really, is your plan to just leave your family in the same position that you started in where you're just going to spend everything? And it perpetually puts people in this save up, spend down cycle that just keeps repeating and repeating generation after generation. Meanwhile, there's all this envy and hatred towards the so-called 1% out there or the 10%. And so your family could have done that too if they knew what they were doing with money. Sorry, that's the truth. So we're, the best we can do is, it, my family didn't do it either. John Montoya's family didn't do it. So we're speaking from experience here. We're not just, we're not part of that 1%. But we're starting to build that. And instead of having our future family members have to start from scratch like we did and just repeat that over and over, why will we not build a plan that allows them to build on everything that we've done and, and truly create that legacy where our kids or our grandkids don't have to make decisions based on money? A lot of people will talk about I don't want my kids or grandkids to have money because then they'll be these trust fund babies or whatever. That's not a money problem. That's a raising your kids problem. So they're two different, they're two different things. So don't, don't get one, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, since we're talking about kids, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and everyone should have a long-term plan. And so a lot of times you just, you talk to people and all they care about is the first three years of their whole life insurance policy because they're a quote unquote investor and they don't want to, they don't want to lose out on opportunity costs. Meanwhile, why are you starting a whole life policy? Why are you starting IBC? Is it because you want to be strategic? And you, most people would say yes to that. And do you want to be strategic for three years or do you want to be strategic for 300 years? You know what I mean? That's, that's long-term thinking and people really have to see through the smoke and mirrors of this creating these policies that really only show the best value in the first three five years whatever it is and start thinking long range just like nelson talked about in the book which is again becoming your own banker that's the source material for all of this so anyway thinking long term it's probably the number one thing that i think people have a hard time doing 
when starting IBC or evaluating IBC. They're only looking at that kind of hack culture. Like they're, they want to get a financial hack. And uh, man, I really hate hack culture. I hate uh, headlines that talk about 10 hacks to do this. It's, hey, there's a process for everything. And everything should be process-based, not hack-based. There was something in there that, that you said that made me recall one of the most beneficial things that came out of my high school experience from an education standpoint. And I might have been home economics class, but I, I had to create a vision board for where I thought or what I foresaw in my life and what I wanted to make happen. And that vision board, I planned from graduation of high school pretty concretely all the way out to age 30. And funny enough, all these things that I had planned for up until age 30 pretty much came to fruition. But it was that process of thinking long-term and as an 18-year-old thinking into, into your going to college, getting your first job, starting a business, buying a house, getting married, starting a family, all these things, I, I basically thought of, put it down on this board and it, it basically happened in sequence. And then what happened, I, I couldn't see past age 30. And so I just put a, a sailboat just going sailing off into the sunset. And what's funny is that I think about that now, and it was in my 30s where I didn't have my an idea of where life would take me. And sure enough, the curves, the fork in the road for me and, and my life experience, it, it basically more or less happened in my early 30s. And I didn't really have a guide or it just I didn't know what was going to come because I hadn't really thought through all of that. And not that we can ever have a crystal ball for anything, but just the idea of thinking long term and putting our thoughts down on paper, whole life, it, these are thoughts that we, we materialize into a contract. It is on paper. Now, nowadays, it's going to be maybe a, a soft PDF, but you can print it out. But all your hopes and dreams can really go into this contract and guarantee that what you want to have happen will happen. And if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not 18 anymore, and I, I what am I going to do to plan for my future? That, that's nice, nice story, John. But I'm 47, and I still haven't given up that vision board. In fact, I looked over to the pause real quick here, but if you're on video, I still have a vision board. And there, there are things that I still want to do with my life, and I'm planning to do with my life. That That's never ending. And, and so the point I really want to make here is that no matter where you are in life, you need to think long-term because you're probably going to be around for a long time, decades. And to your point, John, if you're thinking, I'm going to retire at 65 and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, and then what? Do you right. stop needing access to capital? Right. No, of course not. That's right. And if you're if your plan includes some people that are going to come along after you, there's really nothing better that you can put in place than life insurance. As you get older, it gets harder to qualify for, but it still, it still creates value because of the actuarial nature of life insurance. You're still getting, your premium is discounted to the value that your heirs will get from the death benefit. It always has value. That's how it's built. 
Awesome guys. John Montoya. Thanks as always. This is, this wraps up our three part, uh, series on, uh, IBC first principles. And if you are liking what we're talking about and any of this is resonating with you and you'd like to talk to us and see how some of these principles, first principles could apply in your life in particular, you can just go to the fifth edition.com. You can book a free 30 minute consultation with us right there. No obligation. Or if you're the type of person that likes to do all their research first and just to learn as much as they can before they talk to someone, we have an online course just for you. You can go to the fifth edition.com. There's a little banner right at the top and you can get access to that course. All right. Great, great three part series here, John. Thank you, everyone. Take care.